0: Um, Like I said, I'm sure there's others, most of them. A lot of it, again, is when research changes. You know, I read something years ago about AMPK, and I'm pretty sure I was the first person to write about that and how exercise and endurance training activates AMPK, and that inhibits muscle. And then a buddy of mine is like an AMPK expert, and it's like, well, all the current research shows that there's multiple isoforms of AMPK, and exercise doesn't impact the one that... uh, Impacts mTOR. And so I just like, I, I, there are there, yeah, can I remember them? But in all the cases, if you want to prove me wrong, saying I'm an asshole doesn't do it. Saying fuck you, Lyle doesn't do it. Saying you made my wife cry when I bet she cried more when you left her for Bikini Girl Lane doesn't do it. Evidence doesn't. Show me evidence. Show me this. And if you do that, if you show me the science that says I'm incorrect, And make no mistake, we all get married to our ideas, okay? I find it hilarious that people who have never admitted that they're wrong in their careers will go, Lo doesn't like to be wrong. Oh, and you do? Well then show me where you've actually admitted that you're wrong. It's a really funny criticism because a friend of mine got into arguing with a steroid guy. And the the guy who my friend was arguing with being defensive Stubborn difficult and told my friend. Oh, you're just being stubborn and difficult and don't want to admit you're wrong Right, this is a two-person argument discussion guys Yeah, and it what it comes down to again is if you are going to pretend to be science-based and evidence-based and I use that term very literally because these days the evidence-based crew is very selectively evidence-based right when high-frequency training became a big fad eric helms is like i know all the research says that it's not any better more effective all of it but sometimes you got to think outside the box yeah well screw it if if science only counts when it and suddenly anecdotes count this is part of the new evidence base these folks would not have accepted anecdotes from anybody 10 years ago gary top has lots of anecdotes why is he still wrong oh because the science says he's wrong well the science says you're wrong but i have anecdotes it's, it's a never ending goal shifting circle. Because if you're gonna accept anecdotes, you have to accept all of them or you have to accept none of them. You don't only get to accept yours or some of them. That's not how this works. And anecdote, the plural of, science, of anecdotes is not science. So you, but they wanna have it both ways. And that's what Mike is doing. So Mike said, ah, research beats being big. But if you're not big, don't take advice from the person. Fuck you, Mike
1: do you Talk uh this
0: hypocrisy
1: i don't know if you were referring to you mentioned like p ratio a little bit oh, yeah, i don't know if you, you were specifically bad. referring to like i saw there was a debate between Menno and um yeah. greg and eric who yes. I, I had meno on so we talked about it a little bit i don't know if you had a different perspective
0: well so the question so i did a podcast with it like murray sorry i i'm terrible i'm terrible at my job In this sense, I don't keep, I I don't remember. Thankfully, I've got Sumi to keep track of my podcast so she can post them up. I'm terrible at it. And so I guess, okay, so just briefly for listeners, the P ratio is a much older idea. Uh, Gilbert Forbes developed it back in like the 70s. It has to do, it is the ratio of, of, it's the, the proportion of protein, to, t- to body fat gain and it's not, it's got to do with energetic equivalence and nobody cares, but like basically a a high P ratio means that if you're gaining weight, you gain a larger proportion of protein, i.e. muscle to fat. When you're losing weight, a low P ratio means you're not, you're losing very little muscle, right? It's basically a, it describes how the different compartments of your body are changing in response to weight gain or weight loss. And there's all this data, right? And so Gilbert Forbes, among other things, you know, showed that uh, one of his earliest observations is that the leaner you are, the more the more body protein, I'm just going to use muscle, but strictly speaking, it's a little more complicated than that. The leaner you are, the more muscle you tend to lose. Well, that's true, right? Eric Helms wrote a review paper several years ago that basically was like, yeah, protein requirements go up and up and up even more as you get leaner. Right, from thirty percent to twenty-five percent body fat, you should lose zero muscle. From twenty, yeah, much. Where, where do male bodybuilders tend to hemorrhage muscle? Ten percent less. Women lose less muscle than men when they diet. Part of that's estrogen, but part of it is because, on average, they're from a higher body fat percentage. Similarly, Forbes showed that ah, the lower your calories, the more muscle you lose. Well, that's a, to me that was spurious. The low-calorie studies of the day would be like we gave them four hundred calories, and only half of it was protein. So you gave them 50 grams of protein on a diet, yeah. Of course they lost muscle. Their protein was too low. But by the same token, Forbes' data suggests that the higher your body fat percentage, the lesser proportion of muscle you're going to tend to gain in response to a surplus. Right? And I wrote about that. And what the and the lot well, there, there was one logical conclusion that came out of this and one very illogical. But by the same token, leaner people, when they gain weight, they gained a larger proportion of muscle. Right. So first, there was a very illogical conclusion that came out of this. Oh, you should diet down before you gain. The problem is they were looking at naturally lean people.
1: Right.
0: Naturally lean is very different than dieted down lean. That was an incorrect. But the other seemingly logical conclusion that comes out of this is that if your body fat percentage gets above a certain point, your ability... The, the, the ratio of muscle to fat you're gaining will be decreased. And I wrote about this like 10 or 15 years ago. I talked about insulin resistance being a possibility, visceral fat accumulation. Okay, so that's the background. Greg, Eric, I guess. No, um, tre- Greg, and, uh, sorry, Greg Knuckles and Eric Trexler right. wrote a, even by my standards, I write some turgid stuff, but damn, reading that stuff is tough. They did a meta-analysis, and they looked at this topic. And their conclusions were that this was not correct, Mm -hmm. that being at a higher body fat percentage did not cause a poorer gain in muscle, relatively speaking. And the data set I believe they used were sumo wrestlers and I want to say either collegiate or pro football players and realize and they acknowledge because this is how you intellectually honestly provide a scientific argument that this data was observational. It was not, they, what they, what they didn't do was go, okay, we're going to take people with different body fat percentage, overfeed them and see what happens. It looked at, it was like, In American football, different positions tend to carry different levels of body fat percentage, and it tracked them over a number of years. It wasn't so, and they even acknowledged, this is not the greatest data set. However, it's all that we have. And that is a completely legitimate, they qualified their conclusions that based on this, there doesn't seem to be an effect in a physiological sense. One of the things they pointed out, and again, I would agree with this completely, I, what I wrote because again one of the things I said is said, look above about 15% body fat men start to become insulin resistant. Mm-hmm. this could be detrimental to muscle gains. The data that didn't exist at that point which does now is that even if you're carrying excess body fat, regular training will overcome that insulin resistance. I agree with them completely. Mm-hmm. It's different what I wrote 10 years ago but yeah. I'm so, i've had people do this they're like well 15 years ago why i wrote this article guys can you not hold me responsible for something from a decade and a half ago research has changed but i can't go update 400 articles sorry right, sure um but i, I agree with them and, and again it's not a matter of me agreeing with them or disagreeing with them that's what the science says
1: yeah i mean it's ever know, what evolving, is my argument right? going
0: to be i mean what i mean Would they say that if they came to my house? Right. See, it's dumb, isn't it? (laughs) The science says what the science says, and that's all I care about. Now, I don't want to get too much into this. I will only say that what I saw of Menno's rebuttals, I think Greg and Eric made the better argument. Let's just leave it. I've already, already spent enough time pissing and moaning about Mike. Let me try to show a little bit more class this time. Okay. I only say that I believe that Greg and Eric's arguments held more strength for me. Now, yeah. do I want to see this studied directly? Do I want to see like Garth do a study in different athletes and go, we picked athletes at different body fat percentages? We overfed them a fixed amount and trained them out to see if there's a difference? Absolutely, I do. Because I do regardless of the outcome. Do I want to see what the result is? absolutely. Am I going to say what I think it's going to be? No. I want to see what the outcome is, and I will be happy to adjust my model. Because I think one of the things they were looking at was this idea, because one of the things I've proposed for years is, okay, look, stay between a 10 or 15% body fat range, right, for men. Gain up till you hit about 15, lean out till you hit 10. Not because I think you'll necessarily gain better by being at ten percent, it's to keep mm-hmm. your body fat fairly reasonable. I was basing that on physiology. I would probably uh, revise that now based on what they wrote, because it's like, okay, should you do a dreamer ball? Should you just Gfh baby? Yeah, right. Right. If it's not, you know, if it's not going to cut into your muscular gains, just Gfh mm-hmm. and tell everyone you're an off-season powerlifter for a year. Right. But the thing they addressed that I think was super important. Because ba- I think what they basically concluded was there doesn't seem to be strong support for that physiological rationale of saying leaner in a physiological sense. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I would argue with them about that. I said, I want to see it studied directly one way or the other. But they said there may be practical issues. And I think that is worth addressing because that is as important. Right? We've got one issue. I would dare say most people who are trying to gain muscle mass are doing it to look better, to look better naked, as I've put it for years. Mm-hmm. I dare say that the majority of those folks don't want to spend a year being fluffy, which I believe is the new, the new kind term. Like right. I've always for years that said, look, you will gain muscle much faster if you allow some fat gain. Now saying allowing your body fat to go up is not saying I should let it get high because it means you're in a sufficient surplus. Mm -hmm. You'll always gain a little bit better. You don't need much. But if your goal is to look buff on the beach or at your house because you're going to be on Jersey Shore and you're that guy, you probably don't want to spend a year at 25 to 30% body fat to do it. Adding to that, at some point you got to diet down. Right? At some point, unless you just want to be Super heavyweight. Like I said, if you want to just be big and strong and chunky, I mean, right. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Yeah. But assuming at some point you want to be lean and buff, um, and look swollen, toned, um, you're going to have to diet back down. And dieting down to 12% from 30% is exhausting. It takes <laughs> it takes a really long time to do well. And I think, and then you also got to, well, what if you're an athlete? Let's say you're an athlete trying to gain muscle mass. And well, if you're a football player, if you're a lineman, it doesn't matter. GFH, baby. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I would also mention, and again, I don't want to get, I'm not accusing. Whenever I see studies that are when people, and they're like, oh, well, here's a study of professional football players or collegiate football players. Dude, the drug abuse at that level of sport is so enormous. Now, am I trying to dismiss this out of hand? No. Nope. It is a consideration in terms of the results that are being seen. It's just something. Yeah. Someone once used one of those papers about the fat-free mass index being over 25, and it was some elite-level, Olympic-level throwers and collegiate football players who all said they weren't on drugs. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. You want to know how much I believe that? <laughs> about, about zero. So... In a practical sense, and if you're an athlete, right, if you're a sprinter, if you're an athlete that has to maintain a certain body weight, letting your body fat to get 25% is probably not a good thing to do, even if it allows you to gain muscle, because eventually it has to come off. So so I I thought they gave a very balanced – the way they addressed it was physiologically doesn't look like quite the validity we thought it had. Like I personally, I don't think there's any debate on, on the fat loss issue. That's just, we've seen that everybody knows you can get from to 15% body fat as a dude without losing muscle. If you do anything, even remotely intelligent to get contest lean without losing muscle is a whole nother, is a whole nother story. So I don't think there's any debate over that. I don't think anyone debate that trying to gain muscle when you're super lean is because we we know hormonally everything is, is sub sub submaximal. And actually of some very random interest, and I think this was – Menno made a very subtly different argument, and I don't want to get into it. I saw a paper several years ago, and it was it was looking at, like, physical attraction, which we know there's a biology to, right? We know the right, waist-to-hip sure. ratio of 0.8, like 36, 24, 36 is a biological basis. And what it found was that when you showed women pictures of just, like, generic dudes, right about 12% body fat was their primary preference. And that's Mm. actually where immune system was strongest. You're not so lean that it's impaired, but you're not carrying excess body fat that it's impaired. I'm not saying this has anything to do with this topic other than there are often issues going. And it's funny, for years, the bro scientists of the day said you gain muscle mass best at about 12 to 15%. You know, you got a little fluffy and then you cut back. Anyway, so I thought physiologically, maybe, maybe not, based on the limited data, doesn't look like it. But in a practical sense, you have to decide if being chonky for a year is worth it and if dieting for a year and a half is worth it or if it's going to impair sports performance. So, yeah, so I would probably certainly adjust my viewpoint. Like I said, I think practically, as male, you're probably better off staying a certain leanness. I think another topic that I don't want to get into with you because I promised somebody else uh, <laughs> that needs to be considered is well two two issues we know that if you gain and stay body stay fat for too long your set point might go up now there's it's very hard to study in humans the set point is still stunningly argued about in the research but certainly it seems to be we've also got the issue of potentially gaining new fat cells but that's a whole separate topic and i haven't gotten it sure. but yeah
1: and I, I could also see just as like a brief thing on that like i could easily see If you're staying too fat, you know, going in the direction of too many fat cells, I know some people will argue the reverse, which obviously dieting is not going to make you lose the fat cells, but they will say the longer you stay lean, you will actually lower your body fat set point. I don't think there's any research on it, but.
0: The research shows that that's absolutely the opposite of true. Um, They've studied post-dieted people for upwards of seven years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's not a big difference in energy expenditure, it never goes away yeah and but then at the same time data does show that the longer people maintain a reduced body weight the easier it gets i think that's i think that's strictly behavioral behavioral. i think that that's just the habits become so locked in so i've seen nothing to suggest that set point will go down ever Hmm. ever 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 the data says if anything it's the opposite yeah um because there are situations that seem like pregnancy, like puberty, there's just a paper just the other day that came out and it was basically is the set point set. It's not the title during adolescence because mm-hmm. we know we know that if kids gain body fat during a certain uh, developmental periods that they will have a lifetime of trouble. Once it's up, it's never coming back down. And some of that's probably even gestational. Seems like many women that go through pregnancy, if they gain an excess amount of body fat, yeah. it's damn near like set point seems to be able to go up. I've seen nothing to suggest that it can go down in humans.
1: <laughs> Good news.
0: And I want it. Yeah, it's fantastic news. So I think, and again, don't people don't mishear me. I'm not saying that that will happen if a male stays at 25% body fat. I'm not, but I think that these are outside of the prat. This is a it's a separate physiological question. Right the question of will you gain muscle worse at a higher body fat percentage? Is maybe not, but we do have other physiological issues. There are practical considerations for athletes in general. If you want to be a swole bro, you don't want to be walking around at 30% body fat most of the time because you're not. How are you going to go into the gym and get your pump on on Friday before you go to hit the clubs? Yeah, I mean. That's not – do they still use the term dime to describe girls? That uh,
1: I think enough yeah. that people would know what it is. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm not that guy. But I've seen the guys going to the gym, man, Friday Friday evening. You guys going in their dress clothes and get their pump on to go to the bar. I've seen it. Their I, pumps I must last
1: longer than mine, man. Mine would be gone by the time I went out.
0: <laughs> I saw – someone actually did a paper. This a couple years ago. I forget who it was. And they looked at different. It, basically, it was different types of pump training to like see what would develop the I'm like, man, this is an ebook waiting to be written. Yeah, the, really. Get swole before you go to the bar to mac hotties or whatever the kids call it these <laughs> days. Mac dimes. To mac yeah, to mac dimes. I, I, I'm old. I don't go out anymore. Anyway, like yeah. So like you've seen that guy, and. Um, if you probably, no matter how much muscle you want to gain, you probably don't want to stay thirty percent. Yeah, if you're, you know, long-term bodybuilder, want to, you know, do the Lee Priest thing. Yeah, right. Um, and Gfh in the off season, the thing is, he could get in a contest shape in twelve weeks
1: because yeah. he had
0: all the props. If you do that, if you're going to do a show, you better start your prep about two years, because it's <laughs> going to take you a long time to get to contest lean.
1: You mentioned, you know, you're talking about obviously there's more muscle loss as one gets to contest lean, which I think is pretty well known at this point. Yeah. Um, one thing I've talked to a couple other people, Menno and, and some others, um, and my, I've changed my mind a little bit over the years is oh. on like refeeds and, you know, is obviously yes. like you know, 30 years ago, like nobody, then maybe, you know, whenever it was, it was like, okay, cheat days. And obviously you wrote about all of these things, right? There's cheat days, cheat meals uh sure. UD, ud2 there was kind of like a 30-day thing yeah. um as far as you know for a while actually maybe five years ago the big diet break research started to come out more and more matador yep. study and all that um i actually my my one of my best cuts ever was the last one i did and i just did like three weeks dieting and one week diet break etc yeah. um i just really enjoyed that too yeah. I, Have if you're Opinions on a change in the last five years or so with the research? I mean,
0: So yes and no. So again, here's another place where certainly I think my flexible dieting book could probably be, be updated a little bit like Mm. to wit. I don't think five hour refeeds do anything. And I've said that for years. Yeah. Um, They will. I mean, they'll refill muscle glycogen, but physiologically they're not, they're not going to have an effect. I'm not convinced one day necessarily has an effect. Maybe if you do it more frequently, like it, maybe if you do one day, like an alternate day fasting type of thing where you have a deficit and, and uh, like lean gains used to be in some of the ADF studies. I think two days to three probably does. And, you know, again, does it have to be two days in a row? Does it have to be one day twice a week? Don't know for sure. Is it really having a profound impact on hormones, metabolic rate, that type of stuff? <sighs> maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, would be, you know, I would probably be a little bit more questioning of that right now, but again, and again, you know, I want to, they, they've done some work on this. I think they actually did one. Did they do one that was five, two, um, regardless free meals were always psychological. There's a, don't call them a cheat meal. B they don't do any, I, I still see people go, oh yeah, I have, I have one cheat meal a week to reset my metabolism. <laughs> I have bad news for you. Um, that never did anything. It was, and, and even then, that can backfire for a lot of people. I've told many people, "I'm like, look, if having that that meal throws you off the rails and makes it harder for you, just skip it. It's does you, it's fine, or use it if you desperately need it because you're dying, yeah. but you don't have to." Like I would di- certainly, you know, again, 17 years down the road, I have you know learned a couple more things. Um, even if I'm old and out of touch and challenged by all the new fit pros, apparently this industry. Um, anyway, diet breaks. I think there's certainly more solid data on that uh, than the other methods or than the other strategies in a metabolic sense and an adherence sense. And I'm sure, I think this is worth talking about. So first there's the Matador study. And I guess what, two weeks on, two weeks off and compared that to, what was it? 12 weeks of straight dieting or whatever the specifics were and seemed to show that fat loss is a little bit better. There was less of an adaptive component. Then there was a more recent study that um, did three weeks on, one week off. Um, I'm trying to remember. It got a lot of press because it did not seem to show an effect. And of course, I find it interesting. Again, the evidence-based community has now decided that one paper that they don't like cannot demonstrate anything. But one paper that they agree with Mm. and disprove something completely, like the fasted cardio thing, is suddenly one paper, at least if it's by a certain individual, means you throw out the baby with the bathwater. Okay. Whereas if that one paper said something they disliked, it's only one paper. Mm
1: -hmm. Again,
0: the hypocrisy is staggering. I'm not saying one paper does or does not mean anything. That's why you replicate so the more recent paper that seemed to show no benefit. Well, I looked at it in detail because of course I did. Not because I wanted to di- I wanted to see what it did, because that's always, the, the, the relevance lives outside the abstract. And I have a lot of problems with it. I, number one, I don't know why it was set up the way it was. Why it was set up three weeks on, one week off. Because the people I know that were involved in that paper, because Eric Helms is one of the authors, that's not how he uses them with his athletes. I don't, it's not how I would ever recommend it. Maybe off for rapid fat loss, but I don't know why they picked that structure. But here's the bigger issue I see with it. If you look at, let me screen, screen share real quick. Sure. All right. Can you see that? Yes. All right. So that is the data from a follow up paper they did. They looked at the changes over the one week of refeeding. Mm-hmm. And this, I, I don't know if this was all the subjects, it was a, but it was clearly a number of them. Here's what I want you to notice. Look at the range of people. Okay, body fat percentage range from 6% to 32%, with everything in between. Fat mass from 6 kilos to 33 kilos. So from 12 pounds to 66 pounds. Leptin range from 0 to 10,000. Four, no, I'm sorry, four orders of magnitude. Body weight from 72 to 110 kilos, an 88-pound difference. Fat-free mass from 55 to 80 kilos, a 66-pound difference. Resting energy expenditure in kilojoules per day from 7,000 to 9,500. That's about a 2,500 divided by 4. It's a couple thousand. It's, it's, you know, oh, metric. It's about a thousand. Uh, it's like 500 calories a day. Okay. I'm sorry, but if you take, because, okay, hey, go back. Anyone who's got my guide to flexible dieting or anything I've, I've ever said, the frequency of refeeds and diet breaks scales with body fat percentage. The higher your body fats, the less frequency you need them with, maybe every 16 weeks. Lower your body fats, the more frequently, but I've never given one in less than six weeks. When you take data for a subject group that ranges and you give them all, you, you have just clustered noise together, right? I'm not stunned that they didn't see, because you are averaging out data for people with an order, one to four orders of magnitude difference in their starting point. Now, Again, am I dismissing this, what I would love to see? Show me the, divide it up, 15% below, 15 to 25%, 25 to 35%. You can't just aggregate a bunch of data and not get noise. Same, the, the fasted cardio paper was the same thing. Not only was it only four weeks long, but the body fat percentage of the women ranged, ranged from like 16 to 35%. Several of the more athletes. How many is several, please? Can you please not be clear in your research? How (laughs) many is several? Which groups were they in? I wouldn't expect fasted cardio to help someone at 35% body fat. In fact, I've said for years it wouldn't. I wouldn't expect it to help someone at 25%. 16, it might. And when you average a bunch of results over four weeks, it is way too short. Of course, you're going to get zero because that's what the ad's going to, you're going to average out a bunch of, same thing here. I said, am I saying that Am I saying that the diet break would have reset metabolism had they done that? No, I'm not. Don't mishear me. What I'm saying is that I don't think doing it this way
1: Mm.
0: proves a damn thing because I would have set up the individual refeeds or the diet break schedules based on body fat percentage.
1: If you were to. Zero to
0: 10,000 for God's (laughs) sake. And and the change even, right? Look at the change on that leptin. The, The guy at zero, Went to basically no change. Again, this is right. over a week. The guy, one guy, went from nine thousand to fourteen thousand. Right? We, yeah. we, one guy, dropped. Like, go figure. What the hell is going on with us? And what and well, the other thing that was interesting, even ignoring all that, was if you go read the follow up, they even said, well, the, you know, the the people that took the break were psychol like less psychologically stressed, showed less strain, less fatigue. So you know what, fine, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's not having a real major impact on metabolic rate or rate of fat loss. Some of it slows fat loss because it's taking, but maybe it keeps you from cracking on the way down, right? Again, I'm not saying this study is or isn't valid. I'm saying that I think by clustering all that data leads to a potentially inaccurate conclusion. I would like to see them either do it in all lean bodybuilders, the matador people was all in overweight individuals. Maybe that's the distinction between the right. results.
1: I would, I would guess that, had you know, because when I looked at that, I thought that as well. You know, I think refeeds become more important and pertinent to use the leaner you get. Yes. I'm really not at all surprised. You tell me somebody's dieting from 35% to 27% body fat. Yeah, I don't think that that person needs a lot of diet breaks. I mean, maybe to for like behavioral reasons, right? Yes. Maybe they just need to learn that. But in terms of like maintaining more muscle mass and metabolism mm-hmm. and all that, I don't think it's really doing that much.
0: Because muscle loss is a moot point unless they do everything so brutally wrong. Right. 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 Like, they're on no protein and no, like, yeah, you can, but even then, it's still pretty hard to screw it up.
1: Yeah. So that, that is one of the issues I have with it. It's like, you know, you're not using, um, you know, I think people who, what's one of the arguments, right? Oh, they don't have a lot of experience in this case. We could say they're not lean enough. Um, you know, in your, in your Facebook group, Steve Lowe, the PMR physician, yes. yeah. um, you know, one of the criticisms that he gives is that he says these refeeds aren't sufficient enough in size. Now, he does actually like yeah. single day refeeds, um, right. but he feels like, you know, these, these refeeds sometimes are 2,000 calories or 2,500 calories. Oh, sure. Whereas he's yeah, more in favor of yeah. No, and I, don't, so, and I
0: don't disagree with them. It needs to be at least at maintenance and probably a little bit more. Yeah. And like, and this is, I, I've mentioned this before. Well, okay, let me go back. So absolutely the behavioral thing is almost more important. And again, this is like, again, not, I'm not trying to like shift goalposts. I still want to see better data on the refeed thing. And if I'm wrong, if it doesn't reset my, fine, I'll be wrong. I'll bet perfectly okay with me. I don't think this study demonstrated that because of the range. For someone at thirty-five percent, I wouldn't give them a diet break before four months have passed because they don't need it. I once got so bored, I I think I erased my whiteboard. I mathed it out, I because there you've got there's data on leptin levels, how quickly they, and slowly they drop based on body fat percentage, starting point and stuff, and I sat down. <laughs> I was must I was really bored that day, <laughs> and I calculated out okay. If someone at this body fat percentage is on this level of deficit, their total deficit over per week is this, per month is this, I would predict leptin or however I mathed it out. I'm like, this will realistically reach a point where they need a diet break every so often based on their deficit. I did it for three different body fat percentages and sat there and worked all the calculations. And to my surprise, it came out pretty close to what I had, let's be honest, kind of guessed at in yeah. flexible dieting. When people ask me where those numbers came from, I'm like, half science, half physiology, half guesswork, half experience. And they're like, but that's more than one. I'm like, consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Throw so a little throw at them and they usually back off of you. So yeah, so for someone carrying his 35% body fat, you don't need one more than every 12 to 16 weeks. And that range is, you know, I'll tell them, look, if at 12 weeks you're cracking, like you're just, you're just can't take a break. But if you can make it 16 weeks, do it, then take a break. If someone was, and again, this is male body fat percentages. It's women, it's the numbers are a little bit higher. The male is between 15 and 25%. It would be every age, 12 weeks. They're leaner. Leptin's going to drop a critical point. It's about right. If you're male 15% and below, trying to get sub-10%, single digits, about every six to eight weeks. And that's, and even, again, I talked to Helms about this years ago. He did the exact same thing with his maintenance days. Earliest part of a diet, women's at 24%, one, one, one a week, one maintenance day. And they get to 18%, two a week. They get to 15%, three a week everything. And it's so counterintuitive. It was years ago. The leaner you get, the more often you have to take a break from the diet. And we'll come back to something else because it's worth always worth addressing. Mm-hmm. But the behavioral stuff is almost as important. We know how to lose weight. We know how to lose fat. I said 17 years ago, the issue is not that. Long-term maintenance is the problem. Always <laughs> has been, always will be. Everybody can lose weight. Most gain it back. Why? It's the second bit. Doing a diet break gives you a chance to practice maintenance, to identify problems. Does my appetite run off the rails? What is it psychological? I mean, not that you can separate the two. Um, Knowing that you're going to go back into dieting. Okay, you have identified a set of problems. Let's fix them the next time around, the next diet break, and identify a new set of problems to practice this. Because as much as I have traditionally told people, when you go to maintenance, go to maintenance – that's not right for everybody. So like I said, I am now doing consulting, not one-on-one coaching. Cannot cannot deal with emails about I ate an extra tomato on a weekly basis. Can't <laughs> I will do setups. I do one-hour consults that always run long like these do. But one of my first consults was an individual that had... Losing fat was not a problem for them. They would always gain it back. Now this person was neurotic the way i was neurotic in college and i am not saying that negatively they had charts they had graphs they were screen sharing excel spreadsheets like the kind of crazy i was when i was younger i'm not i can't have the energy anymore and they said look this is what happens every time and and so i talked to them and i go okay what And, and what they told me was look during the week i've got this locked in schedule get up do some cardio i'm at work go lift like at five o'clock, I'm done. Work is over. Like I can stick to my diet during the week. We go, but if five, if I have a free meal, try free meal or a maintenance day, I will roll off the rails completely. I said, okay. Well, they said, if you tell me to just go to maintenance every day, it won't work. I can't do it. I can do one or the other. I said, okay. Well, here's the solution. You're just going to maintain your diet all week while you're actively dieting and when you're at maintenance mm-hmm. because it's a control thing. And that's just as important. Now, so, it's on the, so when you're dieting, because they said, look, if I only have a, a, an, a, a, a lose it, a don't, don't give a damn day. Once a week I can keep, I won't regain, I'll, I can lose weight. But if I do two days a week, I'll maintain. And I said, well, boom, you just told me, you just gave me your answer. Right. I'm so good at my job. I just let them tell me what's going to work for them, and then I feed it back to them. Said so when you're dieting, you're going to go six days and one, right? Six days dieting, one day just whatever. And maintenance, five and two. Start to regain weight. What I what I told this person. So a really good paper that said, look, the way to set maintenance is set an upper limit of say two to three percent over your current weight. Right, So if you're 150, that would be three to four and a half pounds. If your actual body weight reaches, goes up that much, like not water weight, like trend line, tighten it back up because you're regaining. Right, Because what happens? You just spent months, weeks losing 20 pounds, and you've regained eight, and you're just like, screw this, and you quit. The, the idea was if you catch it quickly enough, you only gotta lose a couple, just die for a couple weeks, you're right back to where you were. So I told this person was okay, so your maintenance, do want you to practice this. Five on six one when you're dieting, six days dieting, one day, don't worry about it. Five two, and I said, on your little spreadsheet, we need to put a big red line that is two percent of your goal body weight. If your line crosses the red line, go back to six one. Mm. Done. That was how I approached maintenance for them. But I wanted them to practice that during their first couple of diet breaks to yeah. see and to let me know if I was right or a moron because both of these are frequently equally likely possibilities. Um, so yeah, for the diet break, as much as anything, as much as the physiological benefits, give you a chance to practice maintenance. Now in your case, if you are training, training suffers, your training intensity goes down, you start to get broken, you start to overtrain why seriously there are there are two books out there now and i'll be again i'm trying to be more polite finishing up that say that when you're dieting you should do more volume and that is just the stupidest that's old school 70 that one of the books says when you're dieting do more volume when you're highly stressed do more volume and when you're sick do more volume and that's the dumbest crap i've ever heard so if i'm dieting stressed and sick i should do are you joking are You you kidding me
1: I will say, I, this is, I texted, so Steve Lowe, we, we talked quite a bit, and I texted him, this was probably, man, at least three years ago now, and I, I didn't really know who Mike Gisertel was at the time, yeah um, but I one of my first introductions was seeing him post on Facebook that switching to higher reps, lighter weight when cutting was a great strategy to maintain muscle because it helped increase your volume. That would help you increase, I mean maintain more while dieting. And I just remember being so surprised by that because almost everything I'd ever heard prior that was a well, you can maintain muscle on a lot lower volume, you're gonna need more recovery when dieting. And I you know, my friend Jimmy loved Mike Israel and all this stuff, and I was reading that and I was like, that seems very counter to everything I've heard. Now I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just saying sure. I was very surprised to read that at the time.
0: It's right under one condition. And guess what that condition is?
1: Some, when you're uh, using steroids.
0: <laughs> when you're on special, because that's where that came from. Back in the 70s, that's what everybody did. They moved to higher volume, higher, higher sets and higher reps to burn in the cuts or etch in the separation. Because if you've got the drugs, you don't lose muscle. Every natural I've ever known that did it, they hammered muscle.
1: Yeah.
0: And... This has always been the problem with this industry. And to your point, and I don't, whether or not this is the case, once it's funny because you look at these people and they train naturally for so many years and they're like, "Yeah, and I train like this and this and this." Then they go on drugs and they forget how to train naturally because they don't right. have to anymore. Yeah. Dan Dushane talked about this is years ago. One of the bodybuilding federation that wanted that decided to drug test, and everybody looked like shit on stage because mm-hmm. no one knew how to diet or train without drugs not a single one of them you forget You forget because you don't need it anymore you can get away with so much ridiculous stuff that doesn't matter yeah. and we have always had the problem of having folks that are on special source supplements who are relatively more or less transparent about it and this particular individual is very non-transparent about it for, for reasons I understand but it doesn't change it and is telling a bunch misleading people because yeah, that works if you're on drugs. Absolutely it works. And if you're a natural, you will sacrifice muscle hand over fist. So this idea, yeah. now I think the logic in as much, cause there's an explanation is never given, right? Cause there are, there are studies, there's a couple on college students that during finals, their ability to adapt to training goes down. Right. Why in the world are you gonna do more volume when your recovery is decreased? There is no sense to that. There is no logic to that whatsoever. I don't understand how he, anyone can even reach that conceptual logic. They have to realize that this same book that said stress, dieting, sleep, also said that one of their lifters started making improvements benching when they didn't bench for eight weeks and resensitize their nervous system. So it's basically full of a bunch of ridiculous crap. It's one of it's, – it's it's absurd. <laughs> but um, anyway, and it, yeah, that it, it the whole thing makes zero – but yeah, so – when your recovery is down during dieting, why would you do more training? This is asinine. This is irrational. This is absurd. The only reason is that yeah, it protects your joints when you're sw- you're switching from the heavy androgens to the anabolic. So your water, water in your joints goes down. So you can't, you burn a few more calories, glycogen depletion. And if you're a natural, the muscle falls off. Now, what did Steve Lowe say when you asked him about this?
1: He was just surprised by it. He just said, <laughs> Did he really say, he was like, Did he really say that? um that's that's the extent i remember the conversation okay, from years enough. ago
0: and i'm sure and he has because i've seen it it's in the Our renaissance periodization book it's this other one that i've seen it's a common thing and it's been around since the 70s and it only works for on drugs period
1: yeah
0: i've never seen it work for a natural i have prepped naturals um well i'm not going to go down that road i'll say that for my next video because okay. I can, because trust me, I can, I can, I can. Trust me, I am a petty asshole. I'll be the first <laughs> one to admit it. I'm just better at being a petty wild? asshole than everybody else because I will use evidence to be a petty asshole. Yeah, right. I won't just throw personal attacks. I'll go. Here's the video proof of why I'm right and why I'm a petty asshole. Because honestly, if I'm completely honest, the only reason I wrote that muscular failure series, I mean, it needed to be written. Was I had seen the video of Brad and Mike's training sets to failure. Sure. The entire reason I wrote that was just so I could go, just be a petty asshole and go. Same reason in one of the more one of the Waddle videos I did, I put up a video of a seven year old woman doing hip thrusts with a higher intensity than anything Mike's ever done. Mm. Was it necessary? No. Was it funny? Absolutely. And the fact that Aussie Man was doing the uh, the voiceover made it even funnier. And it was just me being a petty dick. The difference is that I'm actually showing, giving it, I'm just saying Lyle's jealous of the new fit pros. Okay, you can assert whatever you want. Assertion is not evidence. It's like somebody asked Lane on Instagram, do you think Lyle or Mike is right? And here was Lane's response. Lyle thinks he is smarter than every expert in the field, which is A, untrue, and B, Lane describing himself. Um, something I think Lyle never admits that he's wrong, which is A, untrue, and B, Lane describing himself, and C, Lyle is insane, which is absolutely true, but I get to be insane because I'm usually right. But see, it's interesting. He didn't answer the question. Because if he thought I was wrong, he would have said Lyle's wrong. Mm -hmm. If Mike was right, he would have said Mike's right. And I put up a video of Lane squatting, maximum set of five, bar speed slowed. Lane knows I'm right. Just like all the rest, know I'm right, but they're being shockingly silent because they would rather let Mike embarrass himself with these personal attacks and this endless crap than have to come at and go. Yeah, so the fact that a couple people, a couple people that nobody really—not that they don't matter—I don't know who these people are—who are like, yeah, I like Mike more than Lyle, but Lyle's right. That takes guts. I will give them points for intellectual integrity because I've never been here to be liked. Clearly. Yeah, I don't care. I don't I've never been here to be liked. I'm here to be right. And I base it on actual evidence that they can't ever seem to. So Lane's whole response was just a deflection, because that's all you've got when you don't have facts.
1: Who? Uh, so I, and you said you don't think you're the smartest guy in the industry. I've heard you. Well, before I even said name, I've heard you compliment somebody who I'm definitely a, a fan of their work. Who is one or two of the smartest people you can think of in the industry?
0: Well, okay, so that wasn't it. There's a lot of smart people in this industry, make no mistake. What he actually said was Lyle thinks he's smarter than every expert. Yeah. Right. This is objectively false. Now, I know a lot about a few things. And I know a little about a lot of things. I'm kind of a generalist. But if you come into my group, my group is full of experts in their own field. I got five great physios, including Steve Lowe, who's more of a medico, but he's a rehab guy. I got four other great guys, Tim Rowland, Steve Lowe, John Heger, Saif Tahan, and a guy named Scott Morrison. Five top-notch physios. I've got a top-notch OBGYN named Aaron McNulty. I've got, there's a guy named Trevor Bunch, who I think used to get a lot more love than he does. He is actually a double, I want to say above the knee, uh paraplegic who uh he's got a page called the fit bunch where he addresses adaptive exercise now it's not my certainly not my thing it's not my area it fascinates me watching his work makes me think about things differently the way i never have Mm. when we've had people come in that have injuries or disabilities and i hope i'm not using an incorrect term anymore that have physical i always tag him in even in threads where I will comment about rehab stuff or whatever, I will always defer to these guys because they are five top-notch experts. Got several. I know enough about steroids to be dangerous, mm, yeah. but I'm, it's not my field, right? I've got several experts, uh, Broderick Chavez, kind of Chester Rockwell, Joe Jeffrey, my buddy Peter Bond, who's got a book, he's doing consults now. We'll always defer to them on this. I know a lot about what I know and when I think the evidence supports me, yeah. And that's what I said to Lane, right? Because, again, go back to the metabolic damage kerfuffle. I had all the research and all he had was personal attacks. Had hundreds of emails, which are not science. Right Now, and what I said in my video, because, again, I'm a petty little butthole, I said, look, I don't think I'm smarter than all the experts in the field. But Lane, the fact that you could not bring any evidence to rebut me, I might be smarter than you. And I'd say the same. Like I said, if they want to bring science to rebut me, that's fine. And yet, none of them do. So, yeah, there's a lot of smart people in the field. Do I read or listen to any of them? No, because all I hear, <laughs> all I read is no, it's only look, it's not anything about them. I just don't have the time or energy. When I watch YouTube, I watch screen rants, everything wrong with, honest trailers, pitch meeting. New guy, I found the critical drinker, who's my new, my new favorite, a guy named Todd in the Shadows does new interviews. I want stuff to entertain me. If I want to yeah. read, if I want to learn about, I read research. That's it. The only time I'll occasionally read articles is so that they can do the heavy lifting and find the references for me so I can go read the science. So yeah, there's a lot of, it. and I don't know, I don't think I'm smarter than every expert. Now go watch Lane argue with everybody in the world about everything. And tell me if you've ever seen him admit he was wrong to any expert in any field, regardless of what it is. Lane is projecting, which also doesn't change the fact that Lane didn't answer the question because he knows I'm right, but he could never say that.
1: I'm a big fan of honest trailers as well.
0: Oh God, love it, love it! I'll go mm-hmm. watch them endlessly. Um, I'll even sit through the long everything wrong with stuff just because I think it's funny. And they movie Bob do, is another um, big movie guy.
1: Screen Junkies used to do uh, movie fights, and yeah, they, they don't stopped. do as
0: much. I don't watch them as much anymore.
1: Yeah, they kind of stopped everything for um, a while now. I don't know why. Honest but...
0: video game trailers, because I'm a video game nerd. Yeah, and all yeah, that yeah, Kind of stuff. So. so, but anyway, so yeah. Um, other people in the field, like, said so there's, like I said, there's lots of smart people in the field. Do I think I know more than all of them are smart? No, that's Lane just deflecting, like Lane does. It's also mm-hmm. Lane projecting. So, and and again, assertion without evidence is not argument, right? It's assertion and it's blank assertion. If anybody comes into my group or email and they go, look, I saw you claim this. Can you show me the evidence? I can usually find it in about 10 or 15 seconds because I'm real good with Google, right? If I am saying something that, I, that there's not direct evidence on, I'll be the first one to go, this is my speculation. I think this is what indirectly the evidence shows, but I have not seen direct evidence on this. Um, I think a good example of that recently is, you know, this whole thing. It's like the squishy fat and the whoosh phenomenon Mm. and something. And I even said, go back and read my original article or what I wrote in my book. I said, this is something my exercise physiology professor asserted to me in college, that fat cells filled up with water before they lost water. I go, I've not, the only study I've seen that's very indirect is in obese individuals, visceral fat refilled with water. I, and I said that repeatedly. I go, no, I haven't actually seen this. Observationally, and yes, anecdotally, but I'll always say this is anecdotal, so take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, Anecdotes don't prove anything. Observationally, there is something that seems to be going on. There is a water retention. Somebody asked me once, they go, do you even know it's in the fat cells? Well, no, but we know it happens. Mm-hmm. That was another one of Lane's beauties. But the met- Well, the water retention is only a theory like metabolic damage. Actually, that's not true. Actually, back in the Minnesota semi-starvation study in the 50s, the men the men experienced severe water retention, and it was known to occur during starvation for decades before that, where their body weight stopped dropping according to the calorie calculations, showed severe edema that eventually dropped. So no, Lane, water retention during dieting is not a theory. It's been known since the 50s. Metabolic damage was disproven by six decades worth of work. But I guess the science didn't matter when you had a mansion on I realize I'm so. ranting and raving, but this is, this is the bull. If I'm, if I'm annoyed about anything in the industry, it's not that I'm defensive about all these up-and-coming fit pros. I'm sick of the hypocrisy. I'm sick of the nonsense. I'm sick of the fact that these supposed anti-gurus will guru out and use the same playbook when it suits them. If you want to be science-based, stick to the science or don't. But do not play both sides against the middle do not use guru bullshit and excuses and false and just nonsense when the science doesn't back you so you've got the science to rebut me, show me the, the repetition reserve science all says that I'm right. Zero reps reserve, which means that you cannot complete another repetition. Bar speed slows at that point, period. Nothing Mike has shown has shown bar speed slowing the end. There is no debate. There is no, who is right. This is not about how to train. That's not, that's a different argument sure. completely. That is a different argument. But he's and he's made it about everything but that, just like everything else. So that's what if I'm annoyed about. Anything it's that that the supposed evidence-based community has become everything they claim to be against. And it's and it's not everyone. Make no mistake. Right. The difference is there are lots of people in my in the field that I like that I respect. Um, they don't get involved in the puerile, infantile internet sign internet drama that i do because (laughs) they don't care and i got nothing better to do and and i you know and that's just like it's that's not true i have many things better to do but keeps me off the street and out of gangs and yeah there's a lot so it's not i don't want it to sound like i'm painting the entire evidence base crew because there are people out there that just do their thing and that's good And again, I'm also not, don't mishear me as going, look, all that matters is the research. In many cases, the research has been like, yeah, the bros were right. in many cases, it said that they're wrong. However, it's the double standard. It's the argument changing, it's the goal shifting. Do not pretend to be the anti-guru like Lane did when you use every guru tactic when the data doesn't support you right? Because let's reverse this. Mm-hmm. Let's say someone came at me and they had the data that said I was wrong about something. And I did 90 minutes with you going, well, they're too young to know anything. They wouldn't say this to my face if I came, if they, if I came to their house. I'm bigger than they are. I'm this. Everyone would go, God, Lyle is such a hypocrite. He's such a shithead. I can't believe... They, they would excoriate me. They would raise bloody hell if I did to them what they do the difference is they know that since people since i've hurt so many people's feelings that they can get away with it which makes it that much worse if i did it i would be Mm. in the wrong if they do it they're in the right somehow Mm. if they have the evidence the evidence matters if i have the evidence fuck you lyle is an appropriate rebuttal that's what bothers me about this industry gonna pretend to use science show me science gonna pretend to evidence show me evidence if you don't have that have the balls to admit that you're wrong because i would
1: well while i can tell <laughs> we ruffled some feathers um you know i i think I can't like, change a, anything. a lot of people i know agreed with your stance on it it'd be interesting to see if there's any i mean obviously i don't expect we'll ever get a, a you know at one time, Lyle-Mike debate, right? Uh, like, as far as, like, a podcast or anything. But...
0: Well, and I'll be very honest, I wouldn't. Because yeah. listen to Mike's debates. There is no... It is all smoke. It is like listening to a politician. Someone keeps... There's a great quote from the 90-minute debate about statistics. He said, well, here's what you have to understand, is that, you know... Uh, statistics, some of them have their strengths and others have their weaknesses. You know, this paper, there's something strong and something weak and like, okay, I can't argue with jello, right? You can't argue with smoke. Mike has already shown that his only debating style is to change his arguments and keep moving. It is, go watch them ask a politician direct question. Go watch how they respond to it. Now go watch Mike respond to, to a direct question. And he is. I told him in that debate, I said, Mike, you should be in politics. He said, I don't understand. And I just said, of course you don't.
1: I think I remember He's a much better that, politician
0: yeah. than he ever has been a bodybuilder. That's me being bitchy. But
1: I'm
0: not <laughs> trust me, there's more of that to come. So I wouldn't bother, right? I don't know that he would either. Because again, what's there to debate? Yeah. All the science says this, right? There is no evidence. Because I guarantee you, he would be like, Well, muscular failure can be divided. And I would just, we're not talking about muscular failure. We're not talking about definition of reps and reserve and what that means according to Zordos' definition. There's no debate over that. There's Mm -hmm. no debate over the bar speed. What is there to debate? There's nothing to debate. So what would be the point? Right. So I'll keep doing my videos where I show actual evidence, factual, visual, scientific, explaining myself, repeatedly about what I'm actually saying and what I'm not saying and he will continue doing videos where he misrepresents my arguments throws personal attacks at me makes false assertions and lies flat-out through his teeth and People who believe in facts will know I'm right and people who were swayed by his kind of macho posturing Which are the kind of 14 year olds that watch his videos and go. Yeah You're big And as Mike so eloquently put it, when he talked about this pro, it was so funny the irony. And he goes, "Yeah, all these guys in the gym, because the pros like you know do half reps, and all these guys, as he put it, were trying to. I'll polite make this a little bit politer. Were trying to stuff his sausage and dumplings in their mouth. (laughs) This is a PhD, Mike. Really, really. This did they teach you this in?" class that this is how you make arguments but he said yeah those guys all these little guys are just trying to fell like this big pro and we'd look at the science okay i looked at the science and all the people that watch your videos came into mind one of them asked, so are you a top or a bottom really gay jokes guys really how droll mm. really this this is this is intelligent discourse but again apparently on youtube a different level of evidential requirement is allowed in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, papers have to have references. On YouTube, Fuck You Lyle is the only reference you need. Journal of Mike Isertel, every issue. So there would be no point in doing a face to face debate sure. or a round table. Although, if you get bored, do this get a round table with everybody but me, get Helms, get Zordos, get Knuckles, and get Mike. And ask them about zero reps in reserve. Be careful. Don't use the word muscular failure so you don't give Mike an out. Don't get me on it, because Michael just run in circles with me. Watch him round table with the others. He doesn't play those games because he knows he can't get away with it. Get them to do a round table about what zero reps in reserve is is what happens at zero reps in reserve. Because he won't be able to pull. Mm-hmm. That's the round table you should do. Everything they say will be exactly what I've been saying all along. And then once they do that, just because it'll be funny, just right at the very end, go around the table and go, so would you agree or disagree with this statement? Lyle McDonald is right. And then, because that will be common. (laughs) That's the round table you should do if you want to get a little more heat and a little less smoke. Right. All right, that would well, be well, worth watching, so have fun with that.
1: <laughs> always, always a fun time talking. Like I said, I knew when we were talking, I was like, let me get comfortable here. That's always yeah. a nice, good, long talk. Um, appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Uh, sure. I'll obviously have links to uh, everything down below, but where they can find you. Very good.